You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. Folks, David James Young here for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. So wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in and checking this out. This is a bit of weird timing, but you are about to hear the first episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands that I recorded face-to-face after restrictions lifted. So, you're finally hearing it now, months after restrictions lifted. But, uh, yeah, just because of timing and scheduling and the live episodes and and a bunch of other variables. You are only hearing this now, but I am so glad that you are finally hearing this now, because now you get to meet one of the loveliest young women that I've had the absolute honour and pleasure of meeting this year. Her name is Imogen Clark. She is a Blue Mountains country singer who just released a new EP a few months back called The Making of Me. This was our first time meeting and we hit it off pretty quickly and just got to chatting straight away. She's an absolutely lovely, lovely young woman. Incredible talent, great voice. I got to see her perform a few months ago as well at the Vanguard and uh, I had a great, great time at that as well. On top of that, uh, she is going to be doing a big old bloody Christmas party at the factory. The Imogen Clark first annual holiday hoot nanny is going down at the factory on the 9th of December. Uh, Imogen will be there with her band as well as a bunch of special guests, including Sarah Belkner, Loz Benson, Timothy James Bowen, Melanie Dyer. Previous guests of the show, Lindsay McDougall, Montaigne and Georgia Mooney, as well as Jack Moffat and Shane Nicholson will all be joining in for a song or two. So definitely worth heading down. The final few tickets for that are available now. So definitely get along if you are in Sydney. I'll be there. I'm sure a bunch of mates will be there as well. It's going to be a really, really, really fun time. But yeah, I want to give a big thank you to Nicole Stringer at Chug Entertainment and Jeremy Dillon for helping to set this one up. Really appreciate it. And of course, a big thank you to Imogen for her time as well. Won't keep you too much longer. Just a reminder that this podcast is made possible with the help and the support of people just like yourself. If you like what you are hearing, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts or indeed wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to rate and subscribe as well. Tell some friends about what we're doing over here. Maybe you have a friend that loves a bit of Imogen Clark or indeed any of the other guests that we've had on over the years. Please let them know what we're doing over here. That's one of the main ways that we can help grow this whole thing in the first place. And if you are in a position to do so, it would mean the absolute world to have you financially supporting me over on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You gain access to bonus content, early episodes, playlists, and a bunch of other bits and pieces from my work 
as a writer, a musician, and a podcaster. For more information, head over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash David James Young. In the meantime, if you'd like to get in touch, barbandspod at gmail.com, b-a-r-b-a-n-d-s-p-o-d at gmail.com. You can also hit up the Not For Print Podcast Network on Instagram at Not For Print Pods. You can hit up me on Instagram at DJYWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S, and visit all my friends ownbarbands.com for anything else. That's just about it. Let's go back a couple months now and let's sit down face-to-face, finally, with the divine Ms. Imogen Clark. David James Young and all my friends are in Barbens. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend Imogen Clark. Hello, how are you, David? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm so good, given the given the circumstances. Right? I'm doing pretty good. As am I. This is the first time I've done one of these face to face since, oh, like late February, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a hot minute. Gosh. Um, yeah, like I've done one with uh, the wonderful Mr. Henry Waggons. Yes, the very, the very best over Zoom, which was a uh, kind of an interesting one. Like, I don't know, like, has it been weird for you kind of re- reverting to that format after being so used to doing face to face stuff and then just kind of like, love, love, you muted. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, oh, okay, I can hear you now. Can you see me? Can, can, can you? Okay, now I can see you, but I can't hear you. John, John, John. One hundred percent. That is that is how it always happens. Like, and everyone's Every got fucking their time. exactly. Everyone's got their own Zoom personality and their little quirks that mm. come out over Zoom. That like, yeah, they forget they've muted themselves or like whatever it is. It's just a bit of a weird time. Like, I think. Um, I don't mind, you know, obviously we've all just had to adapt to it, but I think yeah. that with, you know, with, with Zoom stuff, like I really feed off other people's energy in person and I like to do things that way and I find it so much more natural and less anxiety-ridden to do yes. things like that. So when everything's over through a screen, you can't quite gauge their their body language completely and you and it's very hard especially when you are like me and live in a rural area where the internet is absolutely shit. Oh boy. So it's been a challenge. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Especially now you're peddling your wares. Yes. You've got a you got a new thing to to promote. Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> always a, yeah, it's been quite interesting when there was a time when my uh, quite recently when my phone line so we have we still have landline phones where I live because uh, yes, because real yeah, real yeehaw because of uh, <laughs> the fact that the mobile reception is so bad. So when the landline phone went out and the internet went out all at the same time, I had to drive to an, like a nearby town to do phone interviews. Wow. And it was just crazy. I was like, I can't rely on my mobile reception at home for a live radio interview. They're like, now we're cutting live to Imogen and there's just dead air. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> 
Oh, it's me. <laughs> Come in. <laughs> do you read? Do you read? Coffee over. It's horrible. It's so bad. Like live radio. Not too bad if it's a pre-record and they just cut it all together. But I just I, the stress, the level of stress. I was like, I'm just going to drive to the nearest town and sit in my car and do these interviews. I respect the effort. Thank really. you. Really, the, the hustle is real. <laughs> Got a <laughs> hustle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so this is our first time meeting, but um, we do have a few mutual friends. The uh, aforementioned uh, lifetime friend of the show, Mr. Jeremy Dillon, who uh, helped to put this together. Uh, and also you shot a music video earlier this year with some good friends of mine as well. Oh. Um, is Rosie Fitzgerald. Yes, I love Rosie. previous guest of the show with uh, her band, I Know Leopard. Yes. Uh, and uh, my good friend Scarlett, who uh, drummed in my band earlier this year oh, as well. Oh, amazing. I didn't yeah. realise we had those friends in common. That's yeah. awesome. What a small industry it is. Both beautiful ladies. How, how did those uh, kind of paths intersect? So, you know, I think actually, as with so much of my life, I think probably... Probably Jeremy was the mutual, the person that connected us all because Rosie and Scarlett both played in my band for my Found Me music video, the first single off my current EP. So they came, played in the band, did an amazing job, looked fantastic, did a great job. So um, And then we sort of became friends from that moment. Actually, Rosie was in an earlier music video with me as well, but that day was the first day I'd met Scarlett. So And now we're all following each other. Not that we can hang out that much at the moment, (laughs) but, you know, <laughs> to nice start, to, it's nice to make new friends. Anyway, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Regardless of if it, I've met this person for the first time or if we've known each other for years, every episode title of this show is episode X, my friend X, yes. because all my friends are barbants. So that's how I title these things. So whether that person likes it or not, we're friends now. Absolutely. I love it. I love immediately being like calling someone my friend, even if it might make them uncomfortable. I'm just like, I'll meet somebody and I'm like, we all we have to do is have one thing in common. We're friends now. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, we're friends. Like uh, they'll be like, I always, also adore Taylor Swift and I'll be like, are you <gasps> kidding? I'm a huge... And then I'm like, we're friends now. Like, yeah. I don't care if you don't think so. We are. Just Favorite deal record. with it. Oh, Folklore. Really? Not even kidding. Wow. That's a big call because I'm... Yeah, because it's been a month. <laughs> oh, I know, exactly. But I honestly, I'm, I made the call pretty early. Within the first few listens, I thought, I just think this might be her best yet even though and that's such a huge call for me because i'm a huge red 1989 fan like those red two is records mine. yeah they have to i mean i think red is probably her most loved like everybody seems to have that as their favorite yeah. record of i'm hers. a basic bitch what can i say oh no it's not it's not at all basic it's great it's a great choice and that's why so, like so many people do call that their favorite because it is such a brilliant record and mm. for me it was between that and 1989 and then but something about folklore has just like just sort of captured my imagination in a way that I love like she's done that so many times before but there's just something so fresh and new and cool about this and maybe it is just that it's so new and I'm so excited about it but I Mm. do feel like there's something about it that's a good call yeah Yeah. I feel like it's a weird one because like it's a record that shouldn't exist yeah (laughs) right yeah it wasn't going to yeah like if this whole fucking shebang hadn't happened she would have spent this whole year touring Lover yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Like, it's an okay record. But yeah. to just be, like, huddled up in a fucking cabin in the woods and just being, like, <laughs> like growing out her ISO beard. Yes! Just like, yep, shit. All right, I'm, I'm doing this. It is Get really Justin Vernon on the phone. Absolutely. It is such an ISO record in that way. Because it's, like, it really feels like it reflects the 
whimsical sort of like anxiety ridden nature of what America is going through at the moment. Like I yeah. feel like it's got such a um, an introspective vibe that I absolutely adore. And I think she does that so well, but it, it is amazing that it wouldn't have, it probably wouldn't have existed at all if not for this pandemic. Like that's a, yeah. a, a small silver lining of yeah. this crazy time. Absolutely. We got a new Taylor record. Yeah. And a new Fiona record and a yes. bunch of other shit. Yeah. Lots of new things coming out, like surprising amounts for a pandemic. Yeah. I was not sure what, would happen yeah and now we can add you to the list as well yeah so excited (laughs) yeah we were so lucky actually because we we almost didn't like we just got the recording in before the pandemic like i flew back from america where we recorded this ep i flew back on like the middle of feb so like we just got it in yeah you get home checking the papers did i leave a cigarette or something like what the fuck yeah well that's kind of how that's exactly how i felt when i was in america right at the point where the uh election was really hotting up between uh hillary and trump and then just as i left trump got elected and i was like america i leave you for like Two weeks, and look what you do! Look what you do! <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I'm just Go sit so in the corner and think about what you did. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It's all my fault. I should have just stayed there. <laughs> okay, so I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed from being something that you were maybe watching on TV, listening to on the radio, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to being something where you clicked and it was like, this is what I want to do. I want to sing. I want to play guitar. I want to be a musician. Can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing and if there was kind of a switch on moment for you? Definitely. Well, I am very privileged in that I grew up in a musical family, so I didn't have to. I always wonder how I would have figured out that I loved music so much had it not been such a part of my childhood. So my dad has always been a musician, played in uh, punk bands, rock bands, did acoustic sort of folky stuff as well, Mm. um, pretty much all of his life. And, you know, so there were naturally just instruments lying around all the time and and he yeah, yeah, was yeah. never precious about letting me pick them up and play them. And also my my brother, who's older than me, was already sort of into music playing bass. My cousins are all musicians. So it was very much a natural part of things. And I thought that was as normal as like having a father that recorded original music and kind of wrote songs all the time was as normal to me as somebody else having a father that was a lawyer or a doctor. Like that, right, was, yeah. that was the normal thing yeah, that my yeah, family yeah. did was the entertainment industry. I just sort of naturally picked up instruments and I got to enjoy playing other people's songs and I started playing in bars and in cafes and clubs and stuff around Western Sydney when I was about 12 was when I started doing that. So I was really young. That was just my my version of my mates uh, working at the local coffee shop or working at Macca's. I was just working in bars and playing covers and earning money and it was great to do something I loved, singing and playing guitar and earn money for it at such a young age was really awesome. But I, although I enjoyed it, I didn't fall completely in love with it until I wrote my first song when I was maybe 13 or 14 and right. played that for for an audience at one of my gigs and got a really great response. And I something in me just went, I love this. I love connecting with people through shared experiences that I've written into this song. It, so it, it really wasn't just playing music. It was playing my own music that made right. me fall in love with it. Where'd you grow up? Uh, out in a place called Bowen Mountain, which is uh, near the Blue Mountains, sort of Bilpin, Hawkesbury side right. of the uh, Blue Mountains. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
That's a that's a unique one. Like I, I guess because it's far away enough from the the quote unquote big city that you know it takes a real effort to kind of get in for shows and stuff like that. Like, yes. was there much of a local music scene where you were growing up? Not particularly. I mean, on the other sort of side of the Blue Mountains, you've got a lot of um, artists have come out of that sort of area that, you know, everywhere from like Glenbrook up to Katoom, but that's sort of oh, on sure, the other side yeah. of the Blue Mountains. But like Cloud Control and Hermitude Abs- and Absolutely, Earth Boy. Julia Jacqueline. Yeah, 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 all these great folks, which is amazing. But sort of my side of the Blue Mountains is across the National Park in a really isolated area. So there wasn't much of a scene because where I come from, there's no street lights, no, uh, you know, curbs, there's no sidewalks. It's like country, country, like rural, even though it's only an hour and a half from the city. It wasn't a huge scene, but in saying that, there was a great sort of bunch of of little venues in the town and pubs that would have me play there from a young age and supported me and and people that would come to the gigs that still come to my gigs today. So Mm. there was a supportive sort of fan scene, but not so much like a lot of artists in my area. So when and where was the first time you played live? So I was 12 and it was at a place. (laughs) It was so little. It was at a place called Sassafras Cafe in Currajong Village, which is about 10 minutes from my house. Mm -hmm. And it was quite nerve wracking. I was was very lucky to have a wonderful friend of the family whose name's Matt Jones, still plays around all the time. Great musician. He was playing guitar with me and I was sort of singing and playing along with him. So he kind of like took me under his wing because he was quite a bit older and he had been a student in, in high school of my dad's. My dad's right, a high school right, teacher. Right, right. So he sort of took me under his wing and like taught me how to play these songs and we got this like set list together. So it was like a nice entry into the gigging world without just having to be like, here's your first gig completely on your own. Yeah, like yeah. enjoy that as a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> oh my um, God. So <laughs> it was really beautiful. And yeah, we had a great gig. And then from there, I just kind of caught the bug and I just booked a whole bunch of gigs and I would just, you know, go and play in the corners of cafes and in pubs I wasn't allowed in for the next few years. (laughs) What's on the set list? Standards? Like, what kind of songs are you covering? Sort of anything. A lot of them would be, uh, like, quite popular songs. Like, I'd do a bunch of Missy Higgins because she was one of my first influences. Absolutely adore Missy. Still do. But there would also be things like Goo Goo Dolls. There'd be stuff. There'd be, like... You know, the the classic Wonder Wall was always oh, in there. Oh, my goodness, yeah. There's always going to be some Oasis. But there'd also be quite, like, songs that n- probably people didn't realise I hadn't written because they just weren't popular songs. So, okay. I'd be playing, like, Lucy Wainwright Roche and things like that. Oh, true, Because yeah. I was such a huge Lucy, and still am, such a huge Lucy fan. So, people were probably like this isn't a popular song that's on the radio. Um, yeah. but, so, but, you know, I just wanted to play the songs I wanted to play. So I was really bad at um, being the sort of artist that would be like, requests anyone? Requ- oh, yes, sure, I'll play some Bon Jovi. <laughs> like I just was never, I, could, I, I didn't really like to do that because I was like, well, these are the songs I want to play. I'm yeah. not a performing <laughs> monkey. Go and put on a bloody, go home and put on your record player if you want to listen to whatever songs you want to listen to. I'm going to play this list that I've written. I have this thing called a set list. <laughs> that being said, if yeah. uh, if someone did ask for something that I knew and I, w- I was like, oh, yeah, no, I love that song, then I'll play it, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a total bitch. You're in luck that Wanted Dead or Alive is on this set list. <laughs> You were so close. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
my god, it was yeah, it was always a super super funny time. Like I had the weirdest things, especially being that young. Starting, I think, is just a weird. It's it's interesting to get so much time exposed to drunk people in bars before you're even like sixteen or seventeen years old. You've already like had years of people being gross to you in bars like it's not a good time but it definitely teaches you a lot of like it it definitely gave me a thick skin i think oh man i can imagine (laughs) (laughs) yeah especially especially you're singing songs with like a lot of adult content as well yeah exactly i don't think like there was this one guy once that was like it was quite a rough pub as like you know growing up in the western suburbs of sydney like there are some rough areas and yeah. there was a guy that was just so plastered and like wanting to fight everyone else everyone in the crowd like just wanting to pick fights and then he came up to me while i was singing and he was like trying to uh do magic tricks for me and i was like uh I'm singing right now. Like I'm wor- I'm I'm at work. So maybe <laughs> I'm also 12. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I don't know what is happening, but I I just would prefer it if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't happening, that would be great. There was so many weird things and like people getting so aggro at you cuz they've had a few too much to drink or guys hitting on you cuz they don't realize you're 12, oh, you know. No. A lot of weird shit oh, went boy. down. <laughs> What vibe are you giving off that would imply that you're not 12? I know, exactly. I think, I mean, here's the thing. I definitely, maybe I didn't, maybe I looked a bit older than 12, but I definitely didn't look like I was over 18, let's oh, be honest. No. <laughs> oh, so good like, grief. You are creepy. Please. And like normally my parents are like sitting at some other table because I'm not even allowed in the venue without an adult. Yeah, of course. So like it'd be hilarious because I would just, my, my parents would be watching <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I'd be like, or it'd be just like, Hey dad and this you know dad would like come on over and then and dad would just be like what did you say to my daughter? <laughs> oh like, boy. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Classic country song daddy with oh, a shotgun, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it was 100% that. <laughs> At what point do like obviously that's kind of your bread and butter that's your foundational stuff. Like are you playing outside of your immediate area at any point? Like how old are you when you kind of first like venture out as it were? I think the first time I played outside of that sort of western Sydney hub was like maybe in my last year of high school. So maybe I was like 17 or 18. And I remember it was, I think my first gig in Sydney was at Cafe Lounge in Surrey Hills, mm. supporting Jack Carty, which was really fun. Oh yeah. Who I love. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely like, I didn't start doing that until sort of, yeah, 17 or 18. And then as soon as I finished high school, I just went, I want a tour. I want to go straight out on the road. So I didn't go to university or anything. I just kind of put everything on hold so I could just full-time tour. And that's all I've been doing since. Wow. (laughs) And how old are you now? I'm 25. Right. Christ. So that's like a lot to navigate at that age. Yeah, absolutely. It was really scary because what I felt like all my friends were doing, because I came from quite a strict academic high school. So all my friends were, so everything in school was study, 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 academia, academia, and So everyone was going off to be doctors or um, to be lawyers or whatever it might be. And everyone at my school was like, so what are you going to use your mark for? And I was like, well, I've worked so hard and studied so hard and got a mark I'm really proud of, but I'm not going to use it whatsoever. Mm. (laughs) And everyone at school was like, I I think you're, you're kind of like, a failure for not using you know like it was just that vibe that sort of unspoken vibe of like 
being a little bit of the the sort of dark horse that wasn't gonna you know that wasn't gonna use their um, education oh, for so judgy, <laughs> but, so judgy. Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a funny time. But like I I just I was a bit worried about the fact that all my friends were going off to be at university and and go into the structure of university life and have, you know, everything sort of planned out and all their assignments planned out and then they'd finish and they'd get this degree. And yet I was going into this unknown, like there's no timeline for anything. There's no guarantees. Even if you are really good and work really hard, you still may not have anything happen for you. Like it's yeah, just yeah. so frightening. And for somebody with anxiety, I was like terrified constantly of of um, failing and of being you know responsible for my own failure and all that stuff was quite a baptism of fire just going out into the world like that but I'm really glad that I did because I I didn't want to waste any time I just wanted to I just wanted to devote my whole life to this and I always knew all the way through school that this is all I was passionate about so I was like well give it a go while you're young like don't die wondering or get to Mm. 50 and go maybe I should have tried that you know well take me back to that first tour where where are you going who you out with um it was a double headline tour with my beautiful friend joe mungovern who is from your area actually he is from kayama beautiful joe one of my oldest mates we decided we were planning it all through school that we wanted to do this tour at the end of when we both because we were in the same year at school when we both graduated we'd want to go off um and so it was really beautiful because we were already such great friends we'd known each other since we were like 15 years old and we just wanted to be able to go out on the road with someone we trusted and could travel with and not get really sick of so we did that we went up and down the east coast and played quite a few shows Uh, i can't remember how many now but it was really fun we had quite a while staying at my place in the mountains and then we'd sort of use his place as a base in kayama so it was just a beautiful it was a really beautiful tour neither of us really knew what we were doing we didn't have an agent we weren't we didn't have managers we had no teams around us we were just kind of like you know flying by the seat of our pants it was fun yeah yeah Oh my goodness, that's a it's a big call to kind of like go out on like a like a co headlining thing like at, at that point in, <sighs> in your career. Like, did you have an EP out or anything? We had, I had an EP out. Joe had an EP out. Yes, we both had fairly early versions of our music out, but it was definitely like we didn't have publicists, we didn't have labels, we had no one really pushing our music and we didn't really have a lot of fans at all yet like you know Mm. our social media was still kind of growing and so it was very hard like we were plugging and plugging it away like just trying to get bums on seats at all these gigs and it was hard work but you know we booked radio things ourselves and we had just so much fun kind of real grassroots level touring yeah and you mentioned you've you've been over to the states a few times like what what was the first time you headed over there for stuff I think it was 2014, something like that. So I was a couple of years or two or three years out of school and I went over there to play with Sounds Australia at the Americana Festival in Nashville, okay. yeah. which is so much fun. And I ended up doing that two or three years in a row. Then I just kind of realized Nashville is definitely a place I want to live at some point. So I, I was actually planning a move this year, like end of this year, start of next year, which mm. will now not be occurring, obviously. Mm. But uh, I do love it over there so much. Nashville has really become a bit of a home away from home 
What what was it that you kind of connected with? Was it kind of like putting the pieces together of just like all oh, the artists that I love come from this scene, and you know, like oh, that's that's the 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 thing from the song, you know, like yeah. you're just kind of piecing it all together. Absolutely, I think it's like it just what captured my imagination so much was that it's a town that just lives and breathes music, and I yeah. just hadn't experienced that before. It's like people's idea of going out isn't to just go out and get wasted and dance at a shitty club. It's like to yeah. go out and see a band. Like that is – and I, that's what I'd always dreamed of but felt like, you know, wasn't quite here in Sydney. Like I just felt like the attitude of going out like revolving around music was just so exciting. And the fact that you've got all these musicians and songwriters at your fingertips, they all live there, they're all working there. It's just like a a hot spot of like amazing people. I think it was, yeah, it was so many things combined. Plus just loving the fact that it's a big, small town. So it's, you can still get from one side of town to the other in sort of like under 40 minutes or, Mm. and it's, but it's, you know, it's big enough to feel like an exciting city, but small enough to feel like a a beautiful small town attitude where people are nice to each other and smile at each other on the street, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So you're 13 when you write your first song. Yes. And so that's 12 years of, of songwriting now. So I'm, I'm curious as to how your relationship with like songwriting has kind of changed because like you can look back at stuff and kind of trace everything like it's it's not as not so much like growing up in public, but it's like literally just having a compendium of everything that you've kind of thought and felt in one way, shape, or form across this. Uh, well, it's a very formative time, you yes. know. You're learning about everything, least of all songwriting. One hundred percent. It is like having a diary of every age that you were. Like every um, record for me, or just every song that I've written, feels like a snapshot of me at that exact. Moment, so it mm. is kind of like the coolest photo album that you could ever have, you know, just yeah. of yourself at those ages. And I listen back to some of that early stuff, which I still really love. Like, I think I know a lot of people are like, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's so embarrassing listening back to my old stuff. And I feel a bit of that as well. Like, we always naturally will, but I just feel excited when I listen to the older stuff because I'm, I'm like, I remember how I felt at that age. And I think if I'd met myself now at that age, and told myself what was going to happen and how many exciting things would happen in my career, I'd be mm. so stoked, you know? Like, so I think it's a, it's always important to remember where you came from. And um, what's your relationship like with performing and having kind of a stage presence now? Like you said, like being a performer so early on, that kind of instills a, a lot of stuff in you. But, you know, there's still a lot to learn from going from playing, you know, smaller, like corners of pubs and dives and stuff like that like and cafes and stuff like that to moving up to you know like bigger venues and theaters and all that sort of stuff you know there's there's a whole process in that as well yeah absolutely it's been it's been a real a really crazy adventure so far like I think that I will never and I always say this to Jeremy I will never take for granted someone coming to a live music venue where the purpose is to watch live music and appreciate live music, buying a ticket, coming, watching the show, buying a record or buying a piece of merch and like listening the whole night and then leaving. Like that is just an experience that as a 12-year-old starting in an industry, I never dreamed that I would be that lucky to have people come and want to hear the things I said 
yeah. like that because I just grew up playing in the background while people sure. ate dinner and, and drank beer and chatted to their friends, which is a totally respectable profession because that that stuff is needed as well. The entertainment when people aren't going out specifically to watch music, they just want to hang out with friends, but there's entertainment there as well. And that's how I grew up learning about music and cutting my teeth, but I just never thought that I would be lucky enough to actually – have an audience of people want to hear the things I said in my music and come mm. and pay, pay money for those tickets. Like I would never, I will never take that for granted ever. What have been, I guess, some of your own personal highlights over the last few years? Cause like I, I bring this up with basically all of my guests where we talk about like when you're young, you have this very idealistic view of like what the industry is like and what music is like. And, you know, like, cause we all grow up on like rock biopics and stuff yeah. like that. So we all have those clear ideas in our head where it's just like this, this band has made it you know yeah. and as like as as idealistic and and like kind of tried as that might seem i feel like every musician in one way shape or form has that like at least a couple of times where it's just like getting to go to a certain place meeting a certain person playing at a certain venue anything like that like for you like what comes to mind when you think about like if you know, preteen me knew about what I'm doing now. They would, they would not believe it. Yes, absolutely. A few. I've been so lucky to have a few of those in the last couple of years. There's the first one for me that made me step back and just go, "Holy shit, what is going on?" Was supporting Shania Twain a couple of years ago. Good grief! It was honestly, I perished. Like. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, I'm such a such a big fan. And then to have my agent call me and go, you're going to support Shania Twain at the, in um, Hope Estate at the Hunter Valley. Oh, like, oh, so not do you want to? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no it's it just was, like, you're going to. It was to. like, here's what's happening because she will. Are you sitting down? <laughs> basically, that was the conversation because she knew, like she knew I was a big fan. She put me forward for it, mm. knowing that I would, you know, knowing I was available and knowing that I would love to do it. But she was like, I won't tell her just in case, you know, just in case yeah, yeah, gets yeah. her hopes up. And then Imogen, she told me. Imogen, I, let's go, girls. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And I honestly, I think I'd, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Like we were standing side of stage. I, it was me. We played as a, a trio without drums. It was me and my dad playing bass. Oh, wow. And my beautiful guitarist, Glenn Hanna, who is no longer with us. And we were standing side of stage and I was just looking out at like 17,000 people, the biggest audience I'd ever played for before. I'm like, we're about to support Shania freaking Twain. Yeah, Like what is going on right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're not we're not that far different in age. Like I'm 29, so yeah. like we you would have come up around the same time of like she was inescapable for like oh. three years. She was one of the first like for our generation, yeah. like one of the first big country artists to like cross over yes. into like mainstream radio. Exactly, and that's that's part of like part of her massive status as a as a queen in my head was that she did what I sort of was very much wanting to do at that point, yeah. which was that, you know, I'd been raised sort of, I'd been in very much marketed as a country artist, but I didn't feel I really belonged there. And I kind of right. wanted to broaden out and be a bit more of a indie pop rock even sort of artist. Yeah. And she had done that exact thing and absolutely nailed it. And she's just such an incredible performer, such a beautiful, like beautiful songwriter, everything that I wanted to be. So to, to be there was just absolutely insane. I I wow. don't even remember playing the show because I yeah. think the whole time I was just like wide-eyed looking around yeah, just having, yeah, yeah. having an amazing time and 
terrified at the same time. Yeah. So that was a, for sure a big one for me. And the uh, probably the other notable one was playing the Enmore for the first time, just yeah, being a wow. venue that I'd grown up going to so many shows at and yeah, always yeah. wanting to play on that stage. And um, it was the beautiful Claire Bowen put me on her tour um, around Australia and the Enmore was the Sydney venue. And yeah, wow. it was a an absolutely magical night that I'll never forget. It was just such a huge. Um, it felt like a really big. What's the word? Like a coming of age thing to like get to do Like a full circle that. thing. Yeah. Full circle moment. Exactly. Exactly. What's the process like of going from those tiny little things to being presented with that? Because like the thing about those support slots is like they're there to see one artist. Yeah. The problem is you are not that yeah. artist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's so it can be hilarious. Like yeah. yeah, I've had a couple of situations in the past where being a support has not gone in my favour. Like when there's been like a drunken person being like, Bring on the main artist mm, like, you know, mm. yelling at you and you're like, Well, you know, they will be here. That is how this works. Yeah, I yeah, play yeah. for a while and then there's a little break and then they It's play brilliant, for a isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Henry Rollins had the same thing where he was talking about when Rollins band opened for Iron Maiden. He was just like, their mentality, right, is that if you weren't going on at eight and Iron Maiden were going on at nine, Iron Maiden would be going on at eight. Yes. Like, you are the sole thing keeping them <laughs> from Iron Maiden in that moment. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. It's- and you are barricading these yes. people from Shania fucking yes, twice. exactly. I held her captive yeah, backstage. Yeah, you damn right you did. Yes, I put her in her little demountable at the backstage of Hope Estate and I shut the door and locked it and I was like, I'm going on stage I'm before famously you. Famously, was not impressed. <laughs> Absolutely not impressed. No, um, didn't impress her much at all. <laughs> but yeah, that's the funny thing. But although, like, the the best part is that, like, being a support has actually been a, a huge part of what has helped me build the fans that I have. I'm so grateful for it because most of the, like I would say 99% of the time, it's not that way. Like most yeah. of the time people are so supportive. They know that there's someone coming on to warm the crowd up. They love music. And even though they've come to see that headline act, they're open to hearing something new. And I, like some of the most supportive, beautiful fans I've ever had have come from the, both of those gigs, actually. Claire, supporting yeah. Claire, supporting Shania, like just because they already have lovely fans who are yeah, you know, yeah. there to be open to new music. So I think being a support is so, so has played such a huge part in my career so far. That's remarkable. So where are you based now? Like you, you were saying before, you're an you're a out country way again. Yes. Well, I am at home, as many of oh, us true. are, during, uh, during the pandemic. Home. Yes, I am. I mean, to be fair, I never really moved out of home, although I kind of did because I'm a bit of a d- so I'm normally traveling around all the time. I spend a fair bit of the every year on the road. So right. I'll be so for that reason I kind of I still keep my childhood house at where my folks still live as my home base because it's really silly for me to rent elsewhere, especially in Sydney where I would never be here and I'd just be yeah. paying a shitload of rent for an apartment I'm never in. So it kind of made more sense for me to remain at home. And then obviously my plan was to sort of remain at home, save money, tour, tour, and then move to Nashville. But obviously right. this is, you know, the pandemic's sort of shaken that up a little bit, but right, yeah. um, still saving money being at home, which is wonderful. And even though it's just been weird this year because I normally the fact that I live at home doesn't 
worry me too much because I'm constantly moving around. But then this year it's been like, just be at home in the country for an entire year. And I've no. been, yeah, I've been freaking out a little because I'm just used to moving all the time. And then suddenly to be in a, in one place for so long and one place that is incredibly isolated has mm. been like, I felt incredibly claustrophobic. Like I've just been like, oh my God, I need to, I need to play a show. I need to tour. I need to get away. How have you, how have you navigated that? Lots of um, almost painful amounts of exercise, like trying to like get, like get my brain out of a place that's like feeling in a rut and feeling really depressed. And so I'll like go and I have an amazing trainer, personal trainer who I go and see, and then I'll, exercise at home I'll go for a lot of runs I hang out with my dog a lot which is great that's been like the only good thing about this pandemic has been spending more time with my dog and I mean just kind of you know seeing friends in a obviously in a small gathering sort of sense you know it's been a nice way of getting out of it but it's really just been having to accept that there's nothing you can do about it you know I think I think the next step is to kind of cross those paths and do a gig in activewear. Yeah, oh, 100%. Activewear yeah. is is now something I have an obsession with, which is I never saw for myself. But <laughs> I mean, love this for me as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what has my life become? <laughs> You got the best of both worlds, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're all over it. Yeah. I need to do like a, a good old Taylor Swift performance thing where I like have this ball gown on and then I rip it off and yes! it's Velcro and I've just got yeah! active wear underneath. Now we're talking. <laughs> oh, just doing laps of the venue using a headset mic. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, now That's we're talking. That's what I want. That's that, what I want. Damn right. We're going to make that happen. We're going to make it happen. Absolutely. My darling, we will wrap this up here. But before we do that, I ask this of all of my guests. And now it is your turn. I want to know about the best and worst shows that you have ever played. Ooh, okay. Best show probably because I've already – it's probably on par with the Shania show and the – oh, no, no, no. I can actually – I can think of – since I've already talked about Shania and I've talked about the Enmore show with mm-hmm. Claire, I think probably the best along with those two is um, I played at the City Winery in Nashville once again with Claire Bowen, um, supporting Claire and uh, her brother Timothy James Bowen was also yes, on the bill. The voice is on. So beautiful. Both of them, gorgeous family. Um, and that that was a show, it was the only time in my life where uh, I got a standing ovation as a support act. Wow. And I, I freaked out. Like I actually kind of didn't process it properly because I sort of walked off the stage and didn't notice that they were all standing up. And then Claire like ran over to the side of the stage and was like, dude, come back. They're standing, like they're giving you a standing ovation. And I was like, what do you mean? No, they're not. What are you talking about? Like I kind of couldn't process it because it was so beautiful. They're getting up to leave. I was like, no, what if they hated it that much? Oh no. But it was, it was honestly just, I couldn't understand it because it had never happened to me before as a support wow, act. And it yeah, was just yeah. so beautiful. And, um, and to, for that to be in Nashville as well, it was just a glorious night. And the worst show probably was, I used to play regularly at this place uh, in the Western suburbs that was like it was a restaurant, but it was very much like I don't know why they bothered to pay someone to play there because they constantly came over and were like, "Hey, can you turn it down a little? Can you just can you just turn it down a little?" To to the point where I was like, "I cannot. Nothing is coming out of these speakers. Like I may as well be playing acoustically." And it would be like from the moment I walked into the door every time I played this gig, which I'd play regularly. Yeah. For, fairly good money I would walk in the door and it was like 
I was a ghost for the next few hours. Like I almost felt like I was in a parallel universe, like the Twilight Zone, where I didn't exist all of a sudden. So I'd come in, no one would talk to me. I'd set up my PA, I'd lug it all up the stairs, no one would talk to me. I'd play for like three, three and a half, maybe four hours while people ate dinner and drank and not like forget applause. No one would even glance in my direction. It was like I didn't exist. (laughs) And it was soul destroying but like you know it was money and i needed that money to fund my originals career so you know what i don't regret it but it was hilariously bad every time (laughs) (laughs) it's a humbling experience isn't it (laughs) just to be so ignored is like it really honestly felt like i was uh yeah i just felt like i was a ghost that that was kind of stuck in purgatory for the rest of my life because i I hadn't unfinished business on earth like it was just (laughs) it was bizarre it really was bizarre. <laughs> Fuck, that is brilliant. I love that. I love that. Okay, three final questions. Okay. Who are you? Imogen Clark. What's your EP called? The Making of Me. When's it out? August 21. So now. Already. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> it is out now. It will be out still by the time that you hear this. So <laughs> go pick up a copy. Imogen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in Barbados. You've just listened to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting.